Hello and welcome to Happiness in Humans. This is Susan Ferber together with you for the second part of the podcast, which I have taken over as host to interview Clive Highland, who is the author of The Quantum Way, Understanding the Science Behind Happiness and Workplace Engagement. And as I said, is the second title in the Happiness and Humans imprint, which follows on from Matt Phelan's book, uh, Freedom to be Happy, which published back in the autumn of 2020. Clive, thank you so much for joining us today. And it'd be great to start off with um, having you tell us a little bit more about yourself. Oh, okay, so uh, basically I am a person of many years business experience, uh, running corporate organizations, about 30 years in total. Um, and really I got into the neuroscience bug from about 2005 um, through a route whereby I was involved in a business researching the effects of stress. That took me into neuroscience. Uh, I found it incredibly insightful, um, new and radical. And I've been working with those principles ever since. Oh, great. Okay. And I suppose what your book deals with neuroscience and quantum physics. Yep. What was the what was the spark, uh, if you recall, the initial spark that got you into these, you know, incredibly dense, uh, at least to a lay person, topics. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. I mean, I, I sort of touched a little bit on the neuroscience bit first um you know that opportunity i had to talk with people who were um, actively operating within neurology was was brilliant for me and it was their interest was mainly clinical of course but mine was more behavioral you know how, how does this impact um, our understanding of human behavior and i just found it so powerful you know i had been around psychological concepts for some time particularly in organizations and they were no longer doing it for me. I think they were useful to a level, um, but the same concepts were re-emerging. They were just being repackaged. And this came along very fresh, very scientifically underpinned and opened up a new world to me. And once you get into neuroscience, you know, for, for a lot of people, it may stop there. For me, it's all about understanding the way that our brains and our total intelligence system works. But actually, one of the um, highlights along the way was discovering that we really are energetic human beings. You know, first and foremost, we are composed of energy. And when you, if you're satisfied um, with simply understanding the way that the brain is wired, it just doesn't tell us enough. So I wasn't. So it was like there's this whole energetic domain that's going on around the body and within the brain. And really the authority on that is physics and in particular quantum physics so where i arrived at was a situation where neuroscience tells us how we operate and quantum physics tell us tells us how the universe operates around us and that's crucial because we are constantly shaped and influenced by what is going around us so a long-winded answer to the to the question no i i, I love that quote and that comes up a few times in your book mm -hmm. And one of the things I have to say to listeners, um, to those who have read the book so far or have not yet read it, is these, as I said, they sound like incredibly dense subjects. Yeah. And you almost have this wall where you mm. think, oh, I'll never understand that. But one so, of the things you do so brilliantly, Clive, is you you break down these concepts and you show that they are not, you know, only topics um, to be handled by 
the man behind the curtain and the rest of us get on with our lives that they actually impact all of us and there are you know there are things we can take from these concepts and apply to the structures that we you know behave and uh, participate in every single day of our lives probably the most pressing of those being um, the organizations that we work with but again in our personal lives our personal beliefs um, our spirituality you go into as well in the book and I just have to say to readers again don't be put off at all by you know the 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 topics of this because you break it down so incredibly well so really I just have to say really hats off to you there Clive um, yeah yeah I mean I would just like to reinforce that in a way really because it was the point of the book that I was most nervous about because you know, people will see the phrase in their own quantum and be afraid of it. And it's it's only unfamiliarity and it's, and it's language that we're not used to. And you can get through it. And that's what I committed myself to do. You know, I, I guess I was able to pick out enough of the insights from that to make it useful and, and present it in the book. And I'm, I am very pleased with the feedback that I'm getting because you know, it seems that nine out of 10 people are sort of saying, no, you know, this was accessible and I could understand it and that was useful. So long may that continue. It's too important to be left to the specialists. Yes. No, I, I, I love that. Uh, and I think you're, you're completely right there that we're doing a detriment to ourselves if we don't if we don't explore these areas so thank you for starting these conversations mm. and for doing a lot of the hard work yeah um, yeah, yeah but but i was motivated to do it so you know good i i guess the book is the second book in this happiness and humans imprint mm -hmm. um so it'd be good to talk a little bit about what makes you happy how do you define happiness clive Mm. Well, of course, the science influence on me, auto, I automatically refer to that and I recognize happiness in two states, you know, one is the excited state, which is high energy, you know, and we all love that, those moments of pure joy, yeah, uh, but there's another level of happiness, which is more around con contentment and a feeling of peace, and is actually a more sustainable type of happiness, you know, so if we um, don't have a high high threshold in terms of peace and contentment, our life can be all peaks and troughs. You know, so for instance, people who are very emotionally driven often experience a lot of peaks and troughs uh, in terms of their ups and their downs in life. Um, and really, it's about enjoying the excitement, but also learning, I think, to up our threshold so that we don't drop. You know, our safety net our emotional safety net is positioned at a level that genuinely supports us. Yeah, you, you look at examples like addiction and things like that. The problem there is that there is no safety net. So oh, however yeah. high you go, you're going to go just as low. You know, so uh, that, that's, again, you know, a, a fairly complicated answer. <laughs> but there you are, I can't help it. <laughs> well, you cover this in your book as well, actually, yeah. too. You yeah. go into that um, really nicely in the opening chapters to frame the journey that you'll be taking your reader on, which is fantastic. Again, as I said, it's the second book in this Happiness in Humans imprint. And the first book, Freedom to be Happy, came out a few months ago. How do you see the two books linking together? Yeah. So um, I, I mentioned in the book that, you know, the Happiness Index to a degree has been the nudge that has uh, motivated me to, to write the book. And Matt looks in a more general research-based sense at the whole subject 
of the link between productivity and you know business effect and happiness um, and you know we both share an intuitive feel that you know people to be productive have to be happy content you know wanting to be a part of what they're doing and what Matt has done is really gone off and researched that to show the, the links along the way that, that present the case, you know, the business case, the happiness. Um, and what I've done then is underpin that with the science, you know, because they're both complementary in that particular sense. No, that's, that's really interesting. And I was just speaking to Matt in the previous podcast, and he said that one of the things that people continuously asked him about after reading his book was more about the quantum way yeah. and quantum organizations. So can you tell us a little bit more, Clive, about what a quantum organization would look like or yeah. perhaps even you know, what is the quantum way? Yeah, absolutely. I think the simplest definition of the quantum way is to say it's a natural way, an organic okay. way. It's the way that we are meant to be. And we've made so many mistakes in the last few hundred years around the way that we organize ourselves. We've created completely unnatural organizations. Wow. If you set off with the knowledge we have now and wanted to set up an organization, you wouldn't create it full of organizational boxes and instructions and procedures and policies, right? You know, what you would do is create, create an environment where it's culturally strong, where people trust each other and they're committed to a cause. Now, I'm not saying you can throw away all rules and all forms of, of you know, monitoring, but we have built these controlled in institutions called organizations that are no longer fit for purpose. They never have been, but it's all we knew at that time. We were trying to manage people like factory units. Yes. And what the science has told us you know, is that you know, by allowing people to connect with causes and connect with their own talents, that's how you get the best out of people. It's not a wish list, you know. I don't like offering opinions if I can't back them up. But this is backed up by the science which shows us when, you know, when we synchronized ourselves, when the heart and brain connect and are operating on the same rhythm, and we do that through your connection with causes, with purpose, that's when we're able to give of our best. So it's about, okay, let's throw away the old rules. Let's create a new set of rules about the way that we organize. Now, I recognize you can't do that overnight, and nobody's saying, you know, go for a high-risk strategy that says throw everything out today. But you have to conceptualize, I think, what a really natural quantum organization could and should look like. And then you work out, all right, is that something we really want? And I think 99% of people would say yes. And then it's a case of how do we map the process of getting there? Okay? Okay. But people have to have this clear vision in their mind, which is basically, look, you know, if we started again, it would look radically different to what we've created as organizationally so far. Right. And one of the things you do in the book is you go into detail about these, what you call features of yeah. what a quantum organization could look like. I mean, this, this may be a difficult or perhaps not even a possible question to answer. But is there any particular feature of a quantum organization or in the more general quantum way that you think may be a good starting point for leaders or organizations if they're considering this, as you rightly said, this is a journey, this does not happen overnight. Um, so where, where may they start to begin their vision of forming quantum? 
Yeah, well, as if obviously from reading the book, you'll know it's not just about cultural considerations, it's about um, structural ones and what I call alignment ones as well. But I think it's a very good question. And, and instinctively, my response is you start with building trust. Okay, so part of the learning when you start to go down the quantum route in the way that's it's explained here is that people shouldn't be too rational up front. You cannot work out all the details, and that's what we're used to doing, right? We need to plan this, plan that. There's a huge part of this which is experiential. In other words, people learn as they go along because they feel it. You know, they feel this sense of resonance um, of this, this whole idea of a buzzing organization, okay? And when you're in that state, you learn a lot more. You're open to learning and you move forward with the momentum with other people. So the bedrock of that is trust. And I've heard many corporate organizations, you know, from my experience, talk about, you know, trust issues in businesses and how they're going to do something about it. And, and frankly, in most cases, they don't get very far. And that is because they're trying to build trust within structural environments that are still looking for control. And there's an absolute, you know, dilemma between trust and control. So this is all about saying, look, you know, trusted people want to give of themselves. We are designed to perform. We are designed to seek validation for the path that we're on. We do that through others. And again, the starting point is trust. So, you know, stop messing about with the trust issues. Put it front and foremost to what you're trying to achieve. Then you will see people grow, you will see them connect, and you will see you've created a powerhouse that wasn't there beforehand. And that's what should drive the beginning of the change process, I think. And that's particularly relevant at the moment yeah. as we are working through this current COVID crisis. Mm. Um, most people now have been working from home for over a year. It looks like most businesses, at least here in the UK, will probably not go back for a considerable amount of time later maybe in the year if yep. ever at all we might be working with hybrid models um, of working from home but one of the things that has continuously come up throughout this is the trust mm. and you and this is probably one of the things before covid struck um, where more and more people were advocating to work from home or policies were allowing them to anyway but there's this issue of employers don't trust their employees to get on with work or yeah. we are recording this podcast actually um, online at the moment, but there's again issues around people showing their face in Zoom meetings, in Google Hangout meetings, and again, these trust issues. So your book feels very pertinent to the moment and the cultural shift that we're naturally going through at the moment. Um, do, do you have any other further thoughts on that, Clive? No, yeah, well, that was the second nudge for me on the book. You know, I think that's very relevant because, you know, if nothing else, it's created a situation where people have stood back, reflected, and are asking themselves very different questions about what they want. I've already had a lot of people in touch with me saying they're going to change, you know, what they do, uh, career or organizations or whatever, uh, because they're looking for a more meaningful way forward. I think even though it's been a difficult experience, it's, it's caused people to sit back and recognize just how boxed in they were mm -hmm. and understanding they don't want to go back into that box. So any organization that's, that's thinking that they can just put people back into their boxes are, are going to have a very rude awakening, I think. Now, again, you know, I don't want to be unrealistic. Each organization has to get the balance right on this. But it shouldn't be about control. You know, the word control itself creates distrust. It says, you know, I am more powerful than you and I'm going to control you. 
and it should be about equality you know and and that's it's how do we create the environments in which people thrive and i would encourage all businesses rather than just say okay how do we go back to how we were in some way and simply look within very narrow constraints is to ask those fundamental questions okay what is this new business model going to look like? What's the new organizational model going to look like? And within that, as you said, a likely hybrid of, you know, where do we people need to bring people together and where can we allow them to operate remotely? And I think some sort of hybrid has to be, you know, the, the ultimate solution because people don't like to feel isolated from their colleagues, but neither should they be forced into some sort of robotic existence where it's not absolutely necessary. Yes, no, of course. I mean, you've touched on it already, uh, but I'd love to hear more about why did you write The Quantum Way? I mean, it is your third book. Mm. Uh, we should say that, that you have written other books previous to this. And I wanted to know what motivated you to write this book. You've talked perhaps a bit about why this particular moment you've written it, but you know, have you been thinking about this book for years? Um, you've been researching these topics for years, certainly. Yeah, it's it's evolved, and I and I think the reason why I wrote it rather than timing is because it's so damn important. You know, I now that I understand a better way, I, and this strikes very deeply in me. You know, I draw on all my business experience and the stuff that I've learned here to know that this can work. There is a better way. And I think when I was a CEO, like many CEOs out there, you know, they'll be looking for something better, but it's very, very difficult to articulate what that something better is. You know, mm. we come up with visions and things like that, but it tends to just stay as a vision, you know, wishful vision and doesn't really impact many people. But I am very, very confident that this is a basis for affecting organizations right across the piece, you know, and there are things that have to be done around that. So to me, it's so important because it opens up a new way where people are playing to their talents and to the collective strengths of the organization. And that means happy people. It means engaged people. And it means successful organizations. So why wouldn't I write about it? Yeah. I mean, that, that that's incredible. And I wanted to know, because I've worked with you as an editor on this book, yeah. how did you find the actual process of writing the book? How, how was that journey for you? You were very tough on me, Susan. <laughs> I am particularly tough. I am. I will say. No, no, no. It's really good to have somebody to bounce back because obviously, when you're creating something, you know, I, I could only see it from my own eyes. You yes. know, so it's very, very important to get somebody coming back to you and saying, "Well, is this bit, bit clear enough in your own in 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 imitable way?" <laughs> um, and that was great for me because you were acting as a bit of a mirror. So the process was um, demanding. I'd say that, but absolutely value add because that's, that's really important. You know, you get so much into your head. And of course, I know why we do this. I know how the brain jumps his head, jumps ahead and has already read the next line before I got there. <laughs> yes, yes. One of, the, one of the common experiences I have when I'm writing, and you, you can probably understand why this is happening brain wise, is I will sometimes go and I will think, oh, I don't like this sentence. I want to change it to something else. And then I'll find an earlier draft where it was the other version yeah, of yeah, what yeah. I'm thinking. And then yes. half, halfway through the process of writing, I think, oh, wait, I remember now why that didn't work. Yes. Um, it is, yes. it's a very 
alienating alone experience writing isn't it it is so it is it's... that's right and and on the one hand you know I, I, there was a level of isolation because of covid so it was good use of time okay. but it's but it's like a double level of isolation and that's why you know i wrote as you know the first manuscript very quickly you know yes. six six to eight weeks and i think that you know that was pretty quick so it meant that i had a lot in my head that i was able to get out and and it's a challenge because if you if you go too quick, obviously you may not do it justice, but if you leave it too long, as you said, you have to come back to sort of stuff and you wrote it in a different mood and does mm. it flow? So what I try to do with this stuff is get into a state of flow and sort of say, this is it and let's put it out there and then I can do the finishing touches later and you obviously helped me with the finishing touches. And that's, that's really interesting that you've just used the expression in the state of flow. Yeah. Um, because that's one of the things you cover so yeah. well in your book. Yeah. Um, it, you use the particular examples usually of athletes or performers such as actors. Yeah. Uh, I think because people can understand that they, they give an output that's quite visual and quite yeah. of a moment. But as a writer as well, you go through that too, don't you? you? You get into this flow and what you're coming, your, what you're writing comes out. Um, Absolutely way you like to so that that that's really interesting you feel like there's an energy flowing through you you know i've right. heard that with other people it's you know being in the zone is almost like you feel like a part of something bigger and mm. you're just fitting in with it and going for it you know it doesn't always feel like that of course unfortunately it'd be nice if we could stay in that place but it really it's, it's that experience of peak performance yeah yes of course i i wanted to ask you a little bit more clive about you know what your particular influences were or are um, in writing this book or you know if you had a particular mentor over the years so perhaps a person who's influenced your work how you know, how have you come to write this what what, what have been your inspirations mm, i think um to be honest the biggest part of it comes back to my background you know growing up in a in a, a mining valley and i and i think what that gave me was very much um, don't judge people just by the way that they appear. Um, mm. Because there were many, you know, really good people facing difficult circumstances um, who would be too easily judged. You know, some of my friends ended up on the wrong side of the tracks and things like that. And what it taught me in life was that, you know, it taught me how to be streetwise and how to be resilient, I think, you know, because there's some big characters in the mining valleys of Wales. <laughs> so you have to find your way of dealing with that. So that put me in good stead, but it also wanted me, enabled me, I think, to look below the surface, to understand your know, people and on what drives them. And that mm -hmm. stayed with me all my life. So it's then been, you know, a journey of, I, I found myself in a lot of leadership positions not just in business, but in sport and things like that. So there was okay. something about me that allowed me to connect with people and, and I guess, you know, try and help get them on the right track. Um, and, and that stayed with me all the way through. through. So I don't think it's down, it's not down to any specific individuals, but I, I've always through my life tried to keep listening. And certainly in the latter stages, you know, my customers are brilliant, you know. Yes, I'm a coach. I coach them. But, you know, on another level, they are teaching me you know, because I'm always learning from those conversations and like people come up with new questions, I learn because I have to package an answer and look at something that I've in a way that I've never looked at it before. So even like the questions you're asking me now, I'm learning, you know, my brain is expanding and it's it's doing good things. So it's it's um 
yeah, it's just that connection, I think, with what makes people tick and, and how do we get the best out of them. Again, I think that's what you do so well in your book and why it's been such a pleasure to work on is you get the sense that you are you're interested in people, you're interested in the way people behave, and you also see yourself as as part of it as well. Um, you're not you're not a distant narrator in the book. You okay. are very personal and you are you, you use we a lot um, throughout the book. And I think that brings a universality. Uh, which I, I personally enjoyed, um, but it also welcomed me into the subject, which, as I okay. said, could feel um, alienating at first. And it, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. all. So, again, for people who haven't read the book yet, I think that I hope you too enjoy that um, as much as certainly I have and you know, find inspiration from your words. Mm. And that leads me on to what I wanted to ask you next about, Clive, which is mm. if somebody has read your book, and they become inspired, you know, what are the next steps for them? What, where can they begin their journey? Whether as a leader, perhaps in an organization, I know we've already touched on this a bit with trust, yeah. but maybe on a personal level, how can a person begin to live the quantum way in their own individual life? Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, so I try to end the book with asking that sort of question of both a personal and organizational level. So, you know, in terms of the personal level, first of all, I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for really getting the information that you connect with and reflecting on that, you know, don't accept um, the, way, the way that life is presented to you now, you know, think again, because this universe that we are part of is quite incredible. And as we explore it more and more, there are so many more opportunities around than we tend to recognize, okay? Opportunities for personal growth. So there's a whole process of self-reflection in whatever way works for you, you know? But then I think it's the organizational power comes from connection with others. I mean, that's one of the bottom lines of, of quantum principles is that everything is connected. Nothing operates in isolation. Energetically, we're all part of systems, you know, energetic systems. And the real power at organization is when you can take people on a learning journey together. It's so much more powerful. In, normally in corporate organizations, we're, we're dropped into certain boxes and areas and we're left with the learning journey on our own. Okay. And that's so much tougher. But when you create a momentum, you know, learning with a cause that takes the organization and the people forward, you create a cultural accelerator effect. So what that means is, you know, all these connections work energetically and that creates momentum. Things happen much quicker than they would do if you were simply trying to uh, develop people individually. So it's that common cause then. And I think, so back to your question, you know, the reflective bit, you know, thinking through, you know, what is really going on inside of you and around you. But on the organizational bit, it's about, sharing these conversations with your colleagues, you know, giving them, you know, information and education around what these possibilities are. Because, you know, whilst people will often have a sort of, you know, this sounds a bit grand, you know, and, you know, is this really you know, a possibility to do things this way? But there's also an, another reaction, which is intuitively people get this. I, people rarely push back against it. They're almost surprised. It's like, oh, so that's how it works. So mm -hmm. I sort of knew this stuff, but now what you're doing me is giving me the language to back it up. And so does that mean I can trust it? And the answer is you can, yes. So it's always this combination of how do I operate personally? 
and how do I operate in communities, organizations, and how can we share these insights and learning and create something special? Because again, I really think that's why I've written the book. Oh, good. I mean, that's really, it's really encouraging your book as well. I should say that to, to readers and to listeners that you come at it from a very realist point of view, mm -hmm. uh, you know, scientific um, research and data and backing it up. But it's not, it's not hopeless. You offer mm -hmm. really optimistic um, encouragement, as I said, to, to lift people and to hopefully initiate what we're calling the new normal um, as we come out of this COVID crisis, but which is long overdue regardless. And, mm. and as I said, both personal and organizational. Uh, Clive, is there anything else you wanted to touch upon about the book or about your research and what you do? Um, not entirely. It's, it's just reinforcement, I think, of that last point, you know, is that what I'm asking people to do, I think, is, is step back and consider consider how amazing they really are. You know, the familiarity in our lives and the way that we become conditioned to tip certain types of thinking means that we we miss so much, so much possibility uh, within ourselves and that's going on around us. And I think try not to be too scared of the unfamiliarity of some of the concepts. You know, hang on in there. I do my best to look after you in the book and try to take you through the journey and it's it's the start of a new phase of learning you know it's by no means the end and what i'm trying to do is create the conversations that others will build on you know because this is going to be the way it, it, we we're ready for a new first phase of learning and hopefully this book will contribute to that oh that's wonderful well i should mention everybody clive's book published on uh, the end of march for the 30th of march so it is now available in both kindle and in paperback, as is Matt's book. So you can find Clive's book, The Quantum Way, now and enjoy reading. Thank you so much, Clive, for joining me. You're welcome. Today. And for the conversation. <laughs> it's been a pleasure speaking with you, as it always is. And it has been uh, you know, a pleasure taking over this podcast for two episodes. So thank you, everybody, for bearing with my American voice <laughs> and my, uh, my giggling every once in a while um, as I've spoken to these two fantastic authors um, in these two episodes. Thank you again, Clive, for joining and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank Bye -bye. you, Susan. Take care.